birthday of the great poet Robert Duncan, who died in 1988. I wrote this. Today, your birthday, in the winter wild, Robert, master poet of the cross sticks, the crossed eyes, fire bringer, more than others you enter my heart in this dark time of the year. I remember your words, your face, the slight stutter of your beautiful voice. We spoke briefly on the phone, and I saw you often in Berkeley, though I never spoke to you there. What can I tell you, Master Poet? Your words opened my heart. Thank you, Wesley Burton. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for Open Book. Welcome to the Poet to Poet series. I'm your host, Dina Serrano. My guest today is poet and novelist Judy Juanita. She's written a marvelous book called Virgin Soul. Welcome, Judy Juanita. Thank you, Nina. I'm so happy that you invited me here. Well, we're very glad that you're here, and we're hoping that you're going to tell us a little bit about Virgin Soul and read to us. How did the book begin? Virgin Soul is what I call the female foot soldier story. I was active in the Black Panther Party when I was a student way back in the day. And as I got older, I wanted to write about it. And I kept looking at books coming out of Berkeley, coming out of the 60s, and then the Black Panther literature canon started to grow. And I kept thinking, I'm not seeing my story. And I realized after some years that I had to write it. And that was my task to do and to figure out how to do it. So I attempted it several times, but it took a number of rewrites to get it in the right voice, evocative of what I wanted to bring out. And you've done a wonderful job, as all the critics seem to agree. Thank you. Could you begin by reading us from the very beginning of the book? Yes, I'll read from the very first chapter just a little bit. Uncle Boy Boy was a dentist, and Aunt Olaray was his wife, and I was not their adored child. I was more obligation than kin, their dark-skinned orphan in residence. I had gotten accepted into San Francisco State as a freshman, but my financial resources amounted to my $72 monthly social security check. I wasn't about to ask them to support me. It was 1964 in Oakland, California, and the Monday after I graduated high school, I hot-footed over to Oakland City College and registered. Very soon thereafter, I moved to the Berkeley YWCA for $12.50 a week and kept my head attached to a dictaphone at the Alameda County Welfare Department 20 hours a week to earn my way through school. Thus... One month out of high school in July 1964, I hit Oakland City College's summer session. What I loved there was listening to the black intellectuals and white boys from the W.E.B. Du Bois Club talk. My friends lumped all of them together as communists. On hot afternoons, we sat for hours on the front lawn of Grove Street, cutting class or coming back after class to see if they had fainted from heat prostration. I was there as often as I was in class, even though their language made no sense to me. Fair play for Cuba sounded like U.S. volleyball teams going to Havana. 
that was so interesting to me because my husband was the president of the W.E.B. Du Bois Club oh, in gosh. the 60s. Yes. But I think he was at UC Berkeley, not at the Grove Street College. It was an exciting time. I really didn't know until later what Evel Younger said when he, he called Merritt College, which is the name it became. He said it was a hotbed for revolutionaries. Yeah, I taught yeah. at Grove Street College and it was it was such a creative place. I loved it. When she finally, in the middle of the book, graduates from college, she finds that it comes to her as a surprise. Many students at that time just transferred. They were happy to get their 60 units and get out of the community college and get to the state college or the university. So her aunt calls her up one day and tells her that she's going to graduate and does she want to go to the ceremony. So I'll start with that part. That's in Chapter 20. It's the first time where we really hear this discussion from Hugh. Huey Newton about police brutality. I entered the auditorium on Grove Street, the Oakland City College Auditorium, shocked that the whole school looked so raggedy. I was even more shocked when the program began and I was ushered onto the stage. I thought I was up there for a prize, which I couldn't believe. My average was 2.7 something, a B minus. As I began to recognize faces, I realized that the 50 of us who were on the stage were the ones getting the AA degrees. The printed program had 170 names of graduates. I just thought, well, at least I'm not the only splib up here. My friend Layla, whose father was Richmond's first black policeman, was sitting across from me. She slipped me a note. Can you believe what it took to make it out of this rat trap? I mouthed, no, I can't. Yes, I can. Where are the parties? Layla motioned to the back of the auditorium. Like yesterday, if I ever saw a carbon copy of Oakland City College's front steps, the welcoming committee stood, Virgil, Cootie, Tony, and Reynard. They were the opposite of the radicals, the opposite of the Free Cuba Brigade. Virgil was the ringleader, a dark-skinned, clean-headed, long-limbed dude who knew from creation where all the parties were. Tony was second in command. They were North Oakland guys. While the president of the college droned on, I thought maybe it was the turf advantage because Oakland City sat in North Oakland. They were all cockhounds. I knew that from the cafeteria, but North Oakland had the top dogs. The president was saying, of our total student body, the students you see here today represent the 3% that transfer annually to the four-year institutions. They have fulfilled our mandate from the master plan for education. The California legislature determined back in 1960 that any person in this great state would be entitled to the highest education right up to the University of California, provided he had but the capacity and the will. I saw Huey at the back of the room talking loud and gesticulating to the Virgil-Abner contingent. Huey was political, but always at the haps. I wondered what he was saying. The president continued, And these students have shown the capacity and the will to make it this far. Only time will tell the next steps. Some are going on to Berkeley in research or professorial careers. Others are transferring to the state college system to train to become teachers. Others are transferring from here to specialized schools. And I whispered to Layla, and some are going to stay here and party forever. And Layla whispered back to me, yeah, but only if they have a wang dang doodle. If all you have is your equipment down there as a woman, you know you have to move on. I found my name in the list of graduates. Well, they spelled it right, Janice Hightower. Good. Layla's name was there. And underneath hers was Huey's, Layla Nelson, Huey Newton. I stared at his name, Huey P. Newton. The nerve. 
old as salt. He had to be 23 or 24, graduating with me from Oakland City College. When it came time to march and pick up our diplomas, I noticed the guys in the back ready to scope us all out. I wondered if they were trying to figure out which woman they had a chance with. I was so busy scoping them back that I almost didn't hear my name. As I walked around the room and tried to style in front of the guys, I was so glad I hadn't invited Uncle Boy Boy and Aunt Ola. I saw Layla and then Huey pick up their diplomas. During the cheese and crackers reception, I tried to eavesdrop casually so I could find out where the parties were. Instead, I found out what the guys were so hot and bothered about. Man, I'm telling you, Virgil was saying, we need citizen alert patrols up here. Cootie said, a man, people from CORE and even the NAACP tune in the police on the shortwave radio in Central. They studying the cops. He was little and happy guys. Tony said with a stammer, why for? Virgil said what's going after Watts. You have to ask why? You know, that's when the OPD started carrying shotguns and riding foe deep. After Watts, they say, we keeping watch on you stand-up Negroes. Cootie slid his eyes, the dirty dogs, and he looked at the podium as if evil was up there. Huey said, springing to life, the police are worse than dogs. Dog is too good a name for them. They're swine. They wallow in the slop of oppression. I was caught between two rushing rivers. Huey, so street yet so smart, was going on and on about the patrols. Layla was blocking moves from Virgil. She never went with dark guys. She had gotten in San Jose State and started yakking about how she was going to pledge Delta Sigma Theta. While Huey talked, the guys were mesmerized. Virgil told Layla she was light enough to make, a.k.a. Alpha Kappa Alpha. Layla said her boyfriend was a Kappa. Under her breath, Layla whispered to me, but loud enough for Virgil to hear. I hear Huey got arrested for trying to pass off a $5 bill for a 20 What do you mean, I said. The fellows were enthralled by Huey, except for Virgil. You know, she said, he gave the clerk a 5 and then acted like it was a 20 My daddy said he's known for shortchanging. And then, if he gets caught, he gets all up in court and gives the jury a first-class runaround. You mean larceny, I said, and she nodded. Oh, man, Virgil said. Huey's petition in the United States Supreme Court. He turned to me. You ever heard of William O. Douglas? Of course, that's who Huey appealed to, Justice Douglas. But the form he originally submitted it to was the United States Supreme Court of California. He laughed. Ain't no such court. Even I know that. Huey looked offended. That's not why they turned my petition down. I didn't attach the order of the Supreme Court of California, which had denied me a hearing and an affidavit of service. Layla had her light-skinned girl sneer on. She asked Huey, where did you get your legal knowledge? I took a course in criminal law from the deputy DA of Alameda County, from whom Layla clearly did not believe him. Ed Meese, he said. She rolled her eyes at me. But I, I didn't roll back because I remembered the name from the Oakland Tribune. I had been fascinated by the Stephanie Bryan murder opening up the Oakland Tribune every afternoon after school, imagining how a girl like me could be murdered. She had been 14, walking home from school, and had disappeared from sight. First her purse turned up, then her body was found beneath a woodsy cabin belonging to a Clark Kent type. They executed him in San Quentin five minutes before the governor called with a reprieve. Four days ago, Raynard broke into my free thinking. He was cute, too, but standoffish, like he was judging everybody. The Supreme Court ruled that a person's confession can't be used against him in a court of law because the police never advised him of his right to any attorney or the fact that anything he said could have been used against him. Miranda. He wasn't jiving around. Huey wasn't either. I wanted to ask if Ed Meese had anything to do with it, but I didn't want to sound stupid. 
Where did you take a course from Ed Moose? Layla asked. Meese, I corrected her. It connected right then. He was the DA when the police busted the free speech students at Berkeley. And then I remember seeing my Uncle Reddy talking about the OPD. He had said being a DA was a white man's stepping stone to the governorship and that Earl Warren was proof positive. Oh, Layla said, Meese, Moose, Mouse, what's the diff? I took the course right here, Huey replied in a matter-of-fact tone, and I've taken courses at San Francisco Law School. He was not at all intimidated by her. Layla said, isn't a fool his own lawyer? Virgil jumped in. A fool would not have had two hung juries and gotten dismissals of misdemeanors and parking tickets. Layla could talk fast, too. Oh, who but a fool would live his life in front of judges? I asked Huey, why are you petitioning the Supreme Court to erase this felony conviction from my record? I didn't commit a felony. I'm not a felon. What did you do to get in trouble in the first place, I asked. I expected him to give me some song and dance. Instead, Tony, the stutterer, started talking about some house party they had been to on 57th and Genoa in North Oakland some time ago. A guy there had started bugging Huey while Huey was trying to eat. Oh, man, this blood grabbed Huey's arm and Huey stabbed his countrified ass. Huey said, I was convicted of assault with a deadly weapon. Ooh. I got real still. Layla got still. We looked at each other. I was out of my element, and Layla's face said she was too. I started thinking, John Lee Hooker, Big Mama Thornton, Duke Joints, Pig's Feet, Roundhouse Negroes. I could hear my grandma saying, the fellow started playing the scene, taking positions, jabbing, stabbing, and duking it out. Oh, man, Huey was talking race. He told this dude he was an Afro-American, and that set the dude off, completely off. Man, he say, man, the the dude say it just like this. How do you know I'm African-American? They hooted, all except for Reynard, who was slick and tall and always carried a Pan Am flight bag. He was the only one dressed up in a tie and sport coat. He said the guy should have known by looking in the mirror of Huey's face. Tony went on. The, the, then Huey say, I got 20-20 vision, and I see your black face just like mine, and you got kinky hair just like mine, so you must be who I am, an African-American. Reynard spoke quietly. Huey said, therefore, you must be what I am. Tony, excited, talked over him. That's when Huey made his mistake. He turned his back on the, on the blood. Huey said to Layla and me, I wasn't mistaken. It was logical. My steak was getting cold. I wanted to laugh at this vision of him sitting down at some crowded house party, eating a piece of steak and probably a side of potato salad on a paper plate. And that's when the Negro got angry, Tony said. And he said to Huey, don't turn your back on me. Oh, Layla said to Huey, so that was you on the 88 bus. You're the one who started the riot when someone stepped on your shoe. Fool ain't no. He committed a cardinal sin, she said to me. Never step on a Negro's shoe. I laughed with my mouth closed, but Huey looked at her like her skin was transparent. Huey said, this Negro goes for something in his left pocket, and he grabs my arm. Cootie, blocking all the moves, said, oh, that fool say, you must don't know who you're talking to. Huh, he the one. Brother stabbed him in the temple with a steak knife. Layla's voice dripped scorn. Is this a classic case of overreacting? I mean, stabbing somebody because they grabbed your arm? I asked Huey. He didn't have a knife, did he? Huey shrugged and said, I didn't know. Huey told the court, Cootie said, cracking up like he had been there instead of just signifying. That fool could have had a hand grenade or the atomic bomb in his pocket, Reynard added. 
Huey also said it could have been a handkerchief. Why did you do it? I asked Huey. He replied in a deliberate voice as if he had said it before. Because he was angry. Because he grabbed me in a firm grip. Because when he put his hand in his pocket, I heard something rattling. Because his face looked mad. And, Huey paused, because he had a scar. Layla hooted on that. She said, uh-oh, scar means he stepped on toes before. We were all of us ready to leave city and meet up at Quickway Hamburgers at 21st and Telegraph, except Huey, who kept on. Self-defense requires a double showing. You have to have been in fear of your life or serious bodily injury. He wasn't just a hood, but Virgil was producing addresses for house parties like rabbits out of a hat. I wanted to hear what Huey had to say. He continued, and the conduct of the other party has to have been such that it would produce that state of mind in a reasonable person. He had memorized it all. As he was talking, Layla crossed in front of Huey, her face to me, and she mouthed the words, street, street, hood, hood, remember. Well, no sexual bells were ringing, but his skill at spewing facts was interesting. He was urgent and political, like the fair play for Cuba guys, only without the weight. He was life, like the god of eloquence and theft, the one who wore winged shoes, Hermes. I stopped myself from looking to see if he had on bushy wingtips or Street Brothers pointy toe Stacy Adams. I didn't want to feel sorry for this guy if he was wearing pointy toes. He was who he was. Virgil, the house party chief of North Oakland, wanted to make sure we got the locations of the grad night parties written down. Snake Road, Dwight Way, 59th and Racine, Grizzly Peak Boulevard, Layla ate parties. Her face, calculating which one to hit first, lit up. Too bad the color line was so strict. She and Virgil were two of a kind. The night was in motion. I had made it out of City College officially. Wow. That was bringing back a lot of memories for me. Yeah, yeah. This next part, Janice has to go back across the bay, which is kind of a trope in the book. You know, she's going back and forth across the bay. And then Oakland represents the past in San Francisco, the exciting future and the exciting present. And when Huey gets jailed and the free Huey defense funds start needing to be accumulated, then she has to go back. And we all had to go back at that time and go back to our parents, go back to our roots and ask them to help us. And they did. So this is that scene of her doing that. We had to put out a special edition of the Black Panther Party paper. We had to get attorneys. We had to mobilize the community. We had to raise money. I crossed the bay to see the only people I knew with money. Uncle Boy Boy and Aunt Ola were presiding at their dinner table. I had come for money, ashamedly. Neither a borrower nor a beggar bee. When I walked in the door, Aunt Ola gave me a new straw bag. She knew I loved big purses. I hugged and I thanked her. The meatloaf with its ketchup covering, the au gratin potatoes from scratch, the fresh mustard greens tasted different. Ola's cooking had improved or I was eating on the run in too many crap soul food joints. Uncle Boy Boy brought reality back into play. Uncle Boy Boy, I said, you know, I don't ask for money, but the party needs bail money for the brothers who have been harassed by the police. We need money to pay the printer for the paper. We just need it. So some of us are asking our folks to contribute. Uncle Boy Boy said, Cousin Reddy seen your boy Huey in the jailhouse. Reddy say they put Newton in the hole in the county jail. They call it the soul breaker. 
But I hear your boy is holding up. Reddy say that policeman Huey Shot was a badass. Says he was hard on ordinary Negroes, but kept his distance from the pimps. Now you know that ain't right. That, Uncle Boy Boy, is the original stimulus for the party. Patrol the ghetto to prevent the police from mistreating us. Uncle Boy Boy kept on with what he wanted to say. Cousin Reddy also say the OPD, the night of that shootout in West Oakland, was looking for two male Negroes riding around. And they knew that your boy had a big fuzzy natural and was light-skinned. Sound like a setup to me. My Uncle Reddy, the original Invisible Man, leaned back. Oh, my passing white cousin knows how to keep his mouth shut until he needs to open it. Ola had left the price tag on the straw bag. I never gave you a gift proper for graduation. I pulled the tag off the straw bag and began putting the contents of my worn leather purse in it, including an issue of the Black Panther Intercommunal News Service. As I looked at it, I decided to show it to them. Here's the very first issue of the paper. Did you work on that, Nisi? Aunt Ola asked, beginning to read the front page. No, I wasn't a member yet. I knew about the Panthers, but hadn't joined. The banner headline was, Who Killed Denzel Dowell? Was this the young man in Richmond? Uncle Boy Boy got his reading glasses out. I nodded. I said, you know, when the Richmond pigs shot the two others before they gunned down Denzel, the coroner found bullet holes in their armpits. My goodness, Aunt Ola said. Does that mean they had their arms blown off? Ola, Uncle Boy Boy, scrutinized the paper. The police shot the young brothers while they were holding their arms up over their heads like they had been asked to do. So the Panthers are going to patrol the community and patrol the pigs. Now, dear, Ola admonished Boy Boy, don't you start calling policemen that word. She turned to me. Why do you use that horrible term anyway? Uncle Boy Boy leaned back from the paper. Ola, these young people are reminding us that the Gestapo in World War II did the same thing. Those Nazis treated Jews the same way, came into their communities, brutalizing and killed, shipped them off to camps because they were a different race. Same problem, different time. Prejudice, hatred. Aunt Ola, I said, Bobby Seale says a policeman is a pig when he violates the constitutional rights and even human rights of the very people he's sworn to protect. All police, Aunt Ola said. Ola, boy boy said, the ones who shoot black boys in the armpits. He placed his finger next to Denzel Dowell's image in the newspaper. Ola picked up the paper and began reading it again. But what really frightens me are the guns. Why do you need to fight violence with violence, she said, getting more stress with each page she turned. This is a very dark world, Janice. And why are there so many cartoons with killing and blood? Aunt Ola, this is what's happening here, not just down south. Why do you think people are rioting in all the big cities, Chicago, Detroit, L.A.? The police have taken the power that we have given them and abused it. They think it's all right to trample on black people. Answer my question, Nisi. About violence? You know it's about the violence. Don't play with me. I'm not as dumb as you like to think. I sighed. Oh, his hackles were up. Huey P. Newton says that we're going to defend ourselves against any racist attacks. It's a way of showing the people that they don't have to take all this brutality sitting down. They need to form neighborhood patrols. They need to put some fear into the pigs' hearts. Nisi, are you a parrot for these older men? They prey on younger women, you know, especially idealistic ones. Have they asked you for sex, Nisi? No, Ola, actually they're perfect gentlemen. What? She was astounded. Manners were as important as beliefs to Ola. I was beginning to feel less crappy about asking for money. Yes, they are. I met Huey at Oakland City. His girlfriend's locker was right next to mine. Did he begin indoctrinating you then? 
Oh, uh, Uncle Boy Boy busted in. You know Niecy's too hard-headed to be indoctrinated. She's just a natural rebel who's afraid of cats. Likes some damn panthers but hates cats. Well, Aunt Ola was beginning to soften up. Do they, do they hate white people? That's a cultural nationalist position. Black pride and wearing the big afros. Well, Niecy, you've been doing those things since you started college. Aren't you a cultural nationalist? I shook my head. An afro doesn't stop bullets. Black pride is not a weapon against police brutality. And the Panthers have alliances with white radicals, something Allwood and his group would never do. Yes, but all this started from those ideas of Allwood, your first boyfriend there, did it not? Ola was smarter than I thought. I give Allwood credit. He introduced me to many ideas and books, but he wasn't radical. Aunt Ola, a radical gets to the root of a problem. Books alone can't change the problem. Somebody has to take action on the theories. That's why I became an activist. Uncle Boy Boy walked out of the room, raising his voice so I could hear him. Now, Nisi, you all call yourselves black revolutionaries. Off the pig, you teach the young people. Death to this racist system. You're teaching yourselves to bring the system down. Kill or be killed. Give me liberty or give me death. But when the man turns on you because you turned on him, you want to cry foul play and you want us to give you a hard-earned money for your beloved defense committee for something you willfully brought on yourselves. Now I ask you, does it make sense for me to give you my hard cash so you can make a white lawyer rich, the bail bondsman rich, and the newspapers rich? running behind and quoting you on the six o'clock news. He came back in the dining room with a small white envelope and shoved it in my purse. Uncle Boy Boy, you know I don't like asking anybody for anything. Yeah, like your pops. Hard-headed, but you're swimming in catastrophe here. When I pulled up to the Bay Bridge and opened the straw purse for the toll, I found a note from Uncle Boy Boy with $200 in 20s, 10s, 5s. The cash my relatives had paid him bill by sweaty bill to work on their teeth the note said be careful i don't want to pick you up in a pine box pinned on the note was another 75 dollars that i knew from the way it was pinned was aunt ola's doing my people knew the police weren't right every tribe had sent one like me into the black panther party the people's army to grieve the system the roots of the Black Panther Party lay in the goodwill of the black community and its utter disgust with the occupying army called the police. Our relatives were our invisible members. To cut these roots would have been disastrous. I have goosebumps from that scene. Well, you've done a remarkable thing, Judy Juanita, most remarkable in writing this book. I didn't ask you earlier how listeners can get a copy of the book. You can go to the website, my website now, it's available there at JudyJuanitasVirginSoul.com. So it's Judy Juanita S. Virgin Soul. No apostrophe. No apostrophe. And you can also go online and get it from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, all over the place. Yeah. The usual suspects. Yes, yes. Well, it's a tremendous accomplishment. Thank, Thank you. you so much, Thank Judy. You, Nina. I appreciate you having me on. Oh, it's been a pleasure. The following poem is by me, Nina Serrano. Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter. It's ridiculous to have to state it. It's so obvious because all life matters and is sacred. 
But it becomes necessary when every morning on Facebook another video of police taking a black life. Hands held up in surrender, handcuffed behind the back, or a pregnant body thrown on the ground and beaten. Black Lives Matter. In Oakland, we know. Four nights of protest marches, rain or dry, of huge police presence on the street and droning helicopters above. In Oakland, we know black lives matter. Traffic slowed, freeway blocked, city life disrupted to underline and pronounce to the nation that black lives matter. This has been Nina Severno with Jill Montgomery for the Poet to Poet series. Please check out my website, ninaserrano.com. Do you know about The Throwaways? The Throwaways is a timely film, a provocative look at mass imprisoning and police brutality on black men in America. Michelle Alexander says The Throwaways courageously explores the most pressing racial justice issue of our time, the mass incarceration of poor people of color. Millions of impoverished people, particularly poor people of color, are being literally thrown away. KPFA and the International House of UC Berkeley will screen The Throwaways, a phenomenal documentary film, twice at 6 p.m. and 8 p.m. on Thursday, January 29th at International House, Piedmont Avenue at Bancroft in Berkeley. The film's director and producer will be present with Davey D for a serious Q&A. This KPFA benefit has wheelchair access. Tickets are at brownpapertickets.com.